Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. Uh, yeah, I think there's so much power in just sitting and being and, and being bored and being alone with your thoughts. If you can't be alone with your thoughts, I think we need to really reevaluate that. Why? It might not be you're running from something necessarily, but like, why are we uncomfortable with, with that inner dialogue? What is it saying? Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hey guys, it's Rachel. Welcome to a new episode of RHP. More specifically, a new episode in our Mastermind series. Now, if this is the first time that you've ever listened to a Mastermind episode, let me give you a little insight. After doing this show for over six years, I realized that we had a collection of some of the most brilliant, incredible, wise teachers who had spoken on, taught on, given us insight and jokes and really good ideas on every topic we could possibly imagine. But it's a lot of episodes for you guys to sort through to try and find all the information. So we started the Mastermind series where we pick a single topic and then choose our four or five favorite conversations about that topic with some of the best teachers we've ever had. And for today's episode, since we are still in the midst of January, we're still at the start of this fresh, shiny new year, we wanted to do something that we're calling life craft. As in, how do you craft your dream life? How do you figure out who you want to be and how you're going to get there? Today, we're going to hear from everyone from Jim Quick, who's going to teach us how to think our way into the life and the person that we want to be. We're going to hear from Jesse Itzler, Sharice Jones, one of my all-time favorite entrepreneurs. Case Kenny is going to talk to us about relationships, and we're even bringing back an old episode that I taught on how to reignite your passion for your life. Today's episode is going to be a good one. I hope you guys absolutely dig it. And if you do, please consider sharing with someone you think might dig it too. Happy listening. I want you to forget about that to-do list, right? Right? Because the to-do list is like, boop, boop, boop. We want to turn it to the side, right? And when we get to it at this specific and predetermined place in our journey, that to-do list turns on its side. And honey, 
tell the people to take a number. We will get to it when we get to the things, right? So we are going to, before we get started, take a deep breath. We are going to forget about our to-do list. We are going to learn how to not take it so freaking seriously all the time. We're going to remember to laugh. We're going to start with some intentions, okay? No, you don't know who I am. Mm-mm. No, because that ain't even important right now. What's important is you, your energy, your energy budget, all of those things. So let's take a deep breath. We're going to do a little bit of four, seven, eight. So we're going to inhale for four, hold for seven, and exhale for eight. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you through that, okay? So on the count of three, inhale through your nose for four. Hold for seven. And exhale audibly, let it down deep, let it go. <sighs> to your belly has let go of all of that stale, raw air. Let's do it. Let's do it one more again. Listen, I, that was cute, but we need to do it one more again. Let's try it again with intention. So whatever it is that's just been taking up free rental space in your mind, let's agree to just let that... Pardon me, shit go. Yeah, I love Jesus and I cuss too. Let's let's just agree. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and agree. Whatever that thing is for you, get it in your mind's eye right now. And let's just go ahead and agree to start on a clean slate and let that dumbass shit go. Okay? All right. On the count of three, inhale for four. Hold for seven. Exhale for eight. Amazing. Five years ago, actually going on six now, I was working this hella unhappy job, right? I was commuting an hour and a half to work every single day. Can you imagine that? Being in the car, listening to your favorite song, but for some reason, you should be happy that you're getting paid good money. The people tell you not to complain. You have your good benefits. You get a predictable paycheck, but you find yourself in the car crying. <laughs> How? How? The world is right. But inside, you're like, there is more for me. Something is happening internally where I feel I can reach up and, and grab for more. But how do I get there? So these are the feelings that I was having during this commute to this job that paid good money. Girl, I was where all the stuff had all the handbags paid up. Yes, good money. But just, I was unfulfilled. Point blank, right? I was being paid a percentage of my worth, a percentage of my worth, a percentage of it. So I was in the car and on the radio, there was this commercial that came on. It said, hey, you can come and set up your table at this, this place called Transformation Expo. It was like, you know, one of those trade shows and you can sell your things. And I got the wheels to turn it. So I, I got up enough gumption to call the number. The woman said, you know what? Do you have a business? I said, not yet. I don't know why I called this number. I have no idea. She, she's asking me. I should have thought about it. Like you're going in the grocery store and forgot your wallet. Like, what, why am I here? Right. So I'm like, no, but tell me more. Anyway, I just want to gather the information. I just want to gather the data, even though I might not be ready for that position. May I please gather data? That's free, right? She said, okay. Well, it's gonna cost you eight hundred dollars to be a part of this trade. I was like, eight hundred dollars. Yeah, I'm making good money, but where am I supposed to get eight hundred? I got a mortgage. Where am I supposed to get eight hundred dollars from to pay you just to come and see, to see if I can make it, to see if I can sell these things? So I'm like, okay, thank you, ma'am, for your info. And so we hung up, and the wheels started to turn because now I was gathering the info. It's the equivalent of you reading the books now. It's the equivalent of you seeking counseling now before there's an actual fire. It's the equivalent of you. Going on the interviews, ain't nobody say you gotta take the job, but you can make friends, that's free, right? Okay, so the wheel started to turn as to what I can turn this pure potentiality into. What can I do with it? So I started to strategize. The only way that you get out of fear 
is through strategy. Okay, you gotta plan your way out of it because for a girl like me, data and facts help me feel a little bit better. Knowing helps me feel a little bit better about the situation. So although my brain told me that it's not smart to do this thing because how are you gonna do it? What is it gonna end up looking like you don't have any answers? But my knowing said, girl, I wanna see if this dream has any validity. Raise your hand if you can relate to that. Girl, if I had seven fingers into, I put them all up. Just wanna see, that's what my knowing said. So let me tell you where my knowing led me. I decided to sell my car. That same car that I was commuting an hour and a half and crying in, it became the oil in my alabaster box. It became my burnt sacrifice because I knew that if I wanted to execute this dream, I don't know what was on, I don't know what the heck was on the other side of it, but I knew that if I could just show up and have the opportunity to be in the room, I will make something good out of that opportunity. There was a burning on the inside. This is you also listening to your knowing, your Shanana. Shanana told me, girlfriend, go for it. Do you plan the what, don't worry about the how, right? You just write down your plan. The universe, your God, your higher power will make the way for your how if he sees you moving forward with your what. The what that you have, even if, if it's just a free pen and paper, that's your what, okay? So I had the babies, yeah, C-section. Uh-huh. I wanted to deliver them vaginally. I was pissed off because, you know, we superwoman, right? We superwoman. We want to do it all. <laughs> I cried when they told me I needed a seizure. I was like, no, I want to push. I want to push. Right? But had the kids. And when the boys were four months old, we were in the minivan driving to all of the trade shows. That is how freaking bad I wanted this dream. Had the kids, did the things and still push for the business, left the job, okay? So let's fast forward. That plan is unsustainable, okay? So, and I didn't know this, but God rewarded me for, for being an ambitious fool. Still went for it. He knew this wasn't gonna last past a year. I got tired. At the end of that year, I'm like, I cannot be driving all over the US of A in a minivan. We flew nowhere. Talking about you selling some $17.99 earrings, sis. What's your succession plan? Like, what is the scalability of this? There is none, okay? But still going forward. So at the end of that year, I'm like, Jesus, I might have to go back to work. There's, there's gotta be a pivot that has to occur because I'm mentally spent. I've spent all of my money and my husband's money. And this is no longer smart. It's no longer intelligent. So what should a girl do? So instead of giving up, and, and like returning back to my job. For me, that was my version of giving up on my dream. I decided to pivot and I pivoted to e-commerce, okay? I created a vehicle called the Sparkle Party. I want you to think HSN. This is where, to this day, and I've been doing this for five years weekly, it's my brand's show where I will teach the consumer how to use our product in a very confident way. I'm telling her the story about the product's creation. I'm teaching her how to use it, how to style it. She's taking that information onto her girlfriend. And there is also a specific and time-bound offer with this live stream event. It's the equivalent of you maybe watching Rachel Hollis on live stream every single day, right? That level of consistency. But I knew that I didn't want to go back to the other thing. So I'm just going to show up for my life because I have to show up for my life because this is my life that I am attempting to build. So built the team. That wasn't, that wasn't easy, right? Trusting other people with the baby, your seed. How many of you are just starting out and you're like, sis, I'm right there with you. I know I want to create a thing, a hobby, a business, a, a nonprofit, but it has to be bigger than me. Can I tell you your next level of your shanana, of your knowing is trusting. Yeah, it's trusting yourself and trusting others, giving others extended grace, giving yourself extended grace, because I'm going to tell you, and this applies whether you're an entrepreneur or not, trusting yourself and other people is one of the major keys to success. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. 
And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. So I, so I'm 35. Okay. Um, I joke that I share my feelings for a living. That's like <laughs> yeah. how I've come to best describe what I do career-wise, even yeah. though what I do career-wise isn't who I am, of course. But there is a close correlation Absolutely. there. Um, very close to what I do. It's like my form of, of therapy and passion and all these things. Um, I mean, principally, I, I'm a writer and a podcaster, and the podcast is really kind of what helped me reinvent myself multiple times along the way. I've been doing it for about five years. Cool. Um, in 2018, I, I started the podcast um, kind of just, yeah, I don't want to use the, the term quarter life crisis because it wasn't a crisis in, in any sense. It was um, bad breakup and at the same time, very invested in my career at the time. I was running a sales team in Chicago, advertising technology. So traveling a lot out of Chicago to like St. Louis and Toledo and Cleveland, just like doing these like short really little Really sexy places. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the best. Um, no offense. I mean, I'm a Midwesterner, so it wasn't, nice. it wasn't terrible. But it was just a lot. It was a lot of traveling, a lot of, you know, hustling to, to make a goal, to, to do a thing. And, you know, the, the breakup was just one of those catalysts. I was like, what, like, what am I doing? Like, it would really be unfortunate 20 years from now to look back and realize that I was going along this path, um, you know, dating these kinds of people because I thought this was the right thing, working this job because I thought it would lead me to some definition of happiness or success, doing all these things, having these aspirations, having unchecked anxieties, emotions, whatever it is. Um, and it would really be unfortunate if I were to look back and realize I never challenged any of these things. I'm pretty type A. So my solution was to start the podcast. So it's a very meta thing in that what I do now was, as I saw the kind of the solution or the challenge for myself. Totally. Started the podcast and kind of the rest is history because basically what I realized I was doing on the podcast was my own form of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, and that was basically five years ago coming up on uh, in June. Wow. Yeah. And when you started the show, was it? Were you doing interviews? Was it just you like processing? What did that look so like? So 99% of them I've done 494 episodes is just me. Yeah. So, just, so that's yeah. where the growth came from. Absolutely. I, I, I also write a lot of quotes on Instagram. And one of the ones that I always refer to is I've changed so much, I might have to reintroduce myself to everyone. Cool. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that I've sat down 494 times by myself, gave myself a prompt. Why do I feel this way? What do I think love is? Whatever, like big meaty ideas. And then I just logic my way through it. Not a licensed therapist, no background in, in anything, just a regular guy doing guy stuff, talking <laughs> through these, these subjects. Um, and it's been really, really rewarding, rewarding personally. And then, of course, you know, to help other people. So. Yeah. The name of the game was how much content can you put out? I, we could talk all and all all day about like the cliche of why. Like why are why are you even doing it in the first place? Like yeah. if you're not incentivized to have a why to get past episode ten, you're never gonna get past it. If yeah. you're if your motive is because everyone else is doing it right. or, or because I want, I want be a fans. podcaster, yeah. it's like yeah. you know, I understand that of course and I want that secondarily, of course. 
but it's like the podcast is my therapy. Uh, it always has been. Like you can't help but grow when you sit down and 494 times evaluate tough life topics. So right. that's always been my incentive. Even if people stopped tuning in and it went to zero, I would still do it. That's a question yeah. is like what is something you would do even yeah. if it never be what would you still do this show if nobody was listening to it or if five people yeah. were listening to it? Because that's a question more people need to ask. Yeah. It's like uh, <clears throat> Seth Godin has that great line in one of his books I can't remember, but it's like it's not what would you do if you what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? which is like this classic, right? right? Yeah. His thing is, what would you do if you knew you would fail? Mm. What would you do if you knew it would never yeah. work, yeah. but you love it so much, you yeah. do it anyway? Yeah. Do that thing. Yeah. That's that's yeah. the move. Yeah, and it's a, it's a tough thing to find. It could take a lifetime to find the thing that you're so motivated to do, even if it was reaching goose egg. Right. But I, you know, I, for me, this 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 is it, and it's it's a gift to be able to do it and to share my feelings for a living and, and yeah. reinvent myself. But also, very practically, I'm an author as well. So, yeah. you know, like I just submitted a, a new book pitch. Cool. All of it was from the last four years of podcasting. So I always have things to choose from that I want to write about, and I could react to people's reactions to it. So practically, as a career-driven person, or even as you know, an entrepreneur, like it gives me you know substance from which to create additional things. So, 100%. you know, from a marketing standpoint, it's it's very smart as well, but it helps me immensely twice a week sitting down, doing these things, sharing with other people, hearing their response and just continuing to do it. What's your process like to uh, create? Do you batch your work? Do you like in terms of podcast production, how are you actually accomplishing 500 podcast episodes and you know, yeah, I think it's I think it's like a an always on switch of being inspired. So I've got Google Docs of Google Docs of just things that I've noticed over over time that I just write down prompts that I could turn to whenever. So I'm always marinating on ideas. But I mean, it's basically just the day before that I publish it, I'll pull out one of the prompts or react to a TikTok or react to something or a question that's on my mind. And then uh, I put on music. I listen to energetic, upbeat house music, 126 beats per minute. <laughs> like that's my thing that gets me in the headspace. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'll just write, I'll write a very, very detailed outline. I think of more of a writer first, podcaster second, mm -hmm. very closely related. Um, I'll just sit down. It takes me about two hours to write. Um, and that's it. And then I'll, and I'll go and record it. I, th I think like that's, I think we've all been given gifts in life. And sometimes they're not, you know, as uh, explicit as, you know, being a math genius or uh -huh. whatever it may be. I think mine has always been just simplifying emotions for myself. So if I can give myself a prompt of, you know, what is a soulmate or what is what is love or what is what are anxious thoughts means or whatever. I can sit down and say, well, here's the experiences that I've had. Here's what it's taught me. And it just kind of it just kind of word vomits out. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of snap to I'm like, oh, let's, let's record this. And, and are you recording it. multiple days a week? Do you twice do, a week? OK, twice yeah. a week. So yeah. are you pretty regimented with your schedule? Are you that because you said you're yeah. a type yeah. A? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I mean, or a perfectionist. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, same. I think yeah. same. Uh, <laughs> I think uh yeah, I mean, I tend to need to write between like 10 and 12 in the morning, like between coffee one and two. Like that's my sweet spot for creating like a little a little groggy, but not jacked up on yeah. caffeine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's every Sunday um, and then every Wednesday I mean, for five years. My girlfriend makes fun of me because I, I have this thing. I'm like, we have to do the difficult things. Like I think what you just described is a mix between emotional intelligence and maturity. The ability to sit in discomfort emotionally and the ability to make the difficult choices where there's an easier choice, there's a, a numbing choice, there's a distracting choice, that's the easy one, or the the difficult one to sit in a feeling, to have a conversation, to do whatever it is. Like That is how I've really come to define my life. It's like I have to do the difficult thing. If there's a difficult thing on the menu, not because I'm some like Navy SEAL hardo, <laughs> but because I've realized that good things come from the difficult moments. And I, I did an episode recently on like, um, for women, you know, what is what is the most masculine trait you could look for in a man? For for women that want a masculine man, and I said we got to stop thinking about masculinity as masculinity. We should look for maturity because maturity is is doing the difficult things. And what more masculine trait is there than doing mm -hmm. the difficult things physically and emotionally? Like that is the trait that I think we should aspire to in ourselves and, and in partners. It's willingness to sit in those things rather than run from it. A willingness to have difficult conversation, even even if it leads to an outcome that isn't so great. It's the willingness to do it, I think, is it's emotional intelligence wrapped up into into action and, and everything in between. And I'm very passionate about it. I don't hear a lot of people talking about doing the boring thing. Mm. It's actually easier <laughs> to do a difficult thing because yeah. you're taking action. Yeah. 
but I mean, it's such a good point because, yeah, we could sit here all, all day and talk about doing a difficult thing and how we could like reverse rationalize that in our head to lead to like destructive <laughs> behavior to like fill like when we're, bo- we're bored, we'll fill the void with something else that could be distracting and, and self-destructive. So, yeah, I think it requires a lot of accountability. But I think in line with the idea of stillness and like what you're actually doing with your brain in that moment, I think from boredom clearly comes good things, creative outlets, yes. like all these rewarding experiences. But we are so averse to boredom. I mean, because our phone is right there. Instant dopamine. It's it's I don't want to boohoo social media necessarily or, you know, be a an old, you know, the, the, the days before social media yeah. and phones. But I, yeah, I think there is so much power in just sitting and being and and being bored and being alone with your thoughts. If you can't be alone with your thoughts, I think we need to really reevaluate that. Why? Yeah. Like it might not be you're running from something necessarily, but like, why are we uncomfortable with with that inner dialogue? What is it saying? Where I started out in the music business as a rapper. I know that sounds crazy. From there, navigated, pivoted into, I did jingles for corporations and sports teams. I managed Run DMC. I had a private jet company that we sold to Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway's NetJets. I had a, a coconut water company we sold to, co- uh, to called Zico that we sold to Coca-Cola. I've been an author. I've been a speaker. I've been... I've had a lot of egg on my face. I had a fitness company called 29 or 29 that you were a part of where we climbed these mountains. Uh, But you know, the common theme through all this stuff is, which is crazy, Rachel, I had no prior experience in anything, in in music, in beverage, in entertainment, nothing. And that for a lot of people, that's a big deterrent and can be really scary. But for me, it was was a great advantage because- it guaranteed that everything I did would be different than my competition and I would get different results and I would do it my own way without being taught. And that was the common thread throughout all these things. So once I did one thing like music, my dad owned the plumbing supply house. I had no lawyer. I had no entrance, you know, I had no like connections, nothing, but it it built up this resilience and this grit around, you know, getting my foot in the door and figuring it out. And you would just sort of lean into something you were interested in and then you'd figure it out once you were there. How did you, I mean, just starting with music, how did you even navigate that world? Yeah, well, music was different because I love, I love music. I love, I grew up in New York in the 80s when hip hop was coming on the scene. I was surrounded by it. I was really into it. When all my friends in college were like writing resumes, they're like, why aren't you writing a resume? I'm like, if I'm getting a record deal, I don't need a resume to get a record deal. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I did. And I was making, you know, a demo on my answering machine. That's how I made my original demo was making an instrumental, the music portion of a CD, while that played leaving a rap on my answering Stop. machine. I sent that to record companies. Yeah. But that's what I wanted to do. And 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 I was like fully committed. And by the way, 17 record companies passed on me until I finally got a small independent label to give me a chance. But, and, and several partners quit along the way because they couldn't handle the rejection. But at 19, 20 years old, when I was going through that journey, getting the reward at the end of getting a deal, like having gone through that rejection and then realized like, whoa, the only reason why I got a deal and so many people that have been next to me along this journey didn't is because I stuck with Bro, it. Yes. It wasn't even talent. That is, it wasn't even the talent. Without question, that is it. That is the answer to every freaking successful person I know. It is a willingness to keep going. Talent isn't going to win. The best idea isn't going to win. It is who is willing to stand back up and keep trying when you get knocked down. And not just once, but hundreds of times. And every time you go into a new sector, a new industry, you have to do that all over again. I never worry about the how. Like, when I started Marquee Jet, I was a kiddie pool attendant four years before we started this airplane company that did $5 billion right. in sales. And if they would have said to me, like, you need, you're going to need FAA approval and Department of Transportation approval and raise money and build a sales force and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I was a kiddie pool attendant. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what was the first thing you said I needed? FAA approval? Well, there's got to be a lawyer that does that. Let me find that guy. And once we got that, what was the second thing I needed? Department of Transportation. There's got to be a lawyer that does that. I never worried about the how I was going to get it done in anything. Yeah. Even when I signed up for 
ultra races, which I do, and endurance races, it's never like how. It's like, let me sign up, let me commit to this and then figure out how. Because if you worry about how, it's going to be so overwhelming and scary. It's going to talk you out of trying. Absolutely. So to me, yeah, I mean, you did the same thing. You signed up for our race 29 or 29. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to figure out when I get to the frigging <laughs> right, mountain. Exactly right. I, I was never the smartest in the room. I got a 980 on my SATs. I was never like the guy that read a balance sheet. I didn't know, like, I didn't come, I didn't grow up in that household where that was discussed. We didn't talk about money. So my default mechanism was two things, storytelling and humor. I would get, oh, I would be able to navigate meetings. I would beg Rachel, when I went into big meetings, I would beg that they didn't call on me because I didn't know what the hell anyone was talking about when they were talking about like the budgets and stuff. And if they did, I would deflect it with like, let me tell you guys what happened to me this weekend <laughs> into a story about nothing, make them laugh and be like, okay, go to the next question. Like get out. And I would get out of it. You know, I was like, networking was one of those things that I had to get really good at because it didn't require high intelligence, high scores or, or a degree in business. I had none of that. I love people. So it came really naturally to me and all kinds of people, janitor to CEO. Yeah. And I always, I, I built my network when I had no money. In my 20s, intuitively, I sent 10 thank you notes a day. So I sent 3,000 letters, handwritten letters in my early 20s. That was my marketing and networking plan. And I continue to do that today. Wait, you sent I 10 thank you notes every day. Every day. To who? Anyone everybody that I came across that impacted me. So if, if I would send you a thank you note after yeah. this, I would send, I would send anyone that I had a meeting with would get a thank you note. If I had a dinner and there were six people at the dinner, I would send everyone a note. Great to meet you. Let's say, you know, and, but it, that was what I did. And uh, I invited people to everything. If I was going to a local polar plunge that the fire department had <laughs> in New York city, Coney Island, where, New Year's Eve, like you could sign up for a team of 20. I would sign up 20 people and invite them. And even if they said no, people love getting an invitation. They love that I thought about them. So I was super inclusive and, 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 I, and I still am. Yeah. So I made it a point for things that didn't cost money to, to be inclusive with people. And everything that I did in my networking, and this is still today, this is still true. I could give a I could give a master class in this. It was one way. I never asked yeah. for anything in return ever. Ever. Like everything was just like if I knew Rachel, if I knew you were into roller skating, I'd send you a, a YouTube video. Rachel, I know you're into roller skating. Check out this video on how to master roller skating in 10 minutes or less. That doesn't cost me anything, but you appreciate it because I thought about you. Right. So I did that. I would show up at places that didn't cost money that were hot spots. So for example, I lived on my friend's couch. I lived on 18 couches between 1922. Wow. But when I lived in LA on couch number five, my friend John Cornick's place in Burbank, we went to lunch at the Beverly Hills Hotel. That was what I've heard you talk but about. Yes, the, can story. I tell the story? Yes. No, no I, want, I want the audience. We go to lunch. I'm sleeping on this guy's couch. I'm living out of my suitcase. And I'm looking around, I'm like, that's Russell Simmons. That's the guy that runs Miramax. That's the head of Warner Brothers TV. They're all at the Beverly Hills at the Polo Lounge for lunch. And I'm like, you don't have to be a, a guest at the hotel for $4,000 a night to come to lunch at the Polo Club? He's like, no, you got to order a salad. So I went, that became my office. I went there every day, literally. And I would have a salad and like a glass of water for like $8. Water. And I would sit there for like <laughs> I sit right. there for like four hours, but I started be getting facial association with everybody. I started watching the mannerisms of the experts. How do they tip? How do they do? They stand up to greet people. Like I was a twenty-one year old kid. I, I was a sponge, so I'm watching this environment of the wealthiest movers and shakers. Then I go back and I sleep on my friend's couch with five other guys in the in the house. But I'm picking up these habits. But more importantly. I'm in the bathroom with the guy. Hey, can I get you this? Can I open the door? Can I? And I'm being noticed. 
years later, there's facial recognition as, as my star starts to shine brighter. I'm bumping into the same guys at the restaurants. I'm bumping into the same guys at the, at the hot spots. So I put myself, part of the networking was being in the environment. Part of it was really extending, casting a wide net through things that didn't cost any money. And part of it was being really inclusive to the people already in my network. My inspiration was my desperation. I, in kindergarten class, there was this, I remember one day there was all these sirens outside and none of the kids could look outside the window to see the commotion because we're so small. And so we all grab our, you know, our chairs. And I remember standing on my chair, looking at the fire trucks and the, you know, the firefighters do their thing. And I took this, I lost my balance and I went head first into a radiator and uh, it was uh, rushed to the emergency room, covered in blood. And my parents afterwards, they, they noted that my personality had changed where before I was very curious, very energized, very playful. At five years old, I became very shut down. And uh, where I really showed up was in school. I had processing issues where teachers would repeat themselves like three, four, or five times. And I would pretend to understand, but I didn't really understand. I had poor focus, a poor memory. It took me uh, over three years longer just to learn how to read. So that was embarrassing. I remember when I was nine years old, I was, uh, I was being teased for my learning difficulties. I was slowing down the class by the other kids and a teacher came to my defense. But all I remember her saying, she pointed to me from the whole class and said, leave that kid alone. He's the boy with the broken brain. And that... Um, that, that 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 was very you know, I, I, it makes me like get a little choked up thinking about it. But I was uh, I didn't know I was broken, so every single time I did badly in school, which was every week, I struggled. I would say, oh, because I have the broken brain. That mm -hmm. became my you know, Your adults. Mantra, yeah. yeah, adults have to be very careful of their external words because they often become a child's internal words. Absolutely. Yeah. So that 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 was me. Every time I was in pick for sports, I would say, oh, because I'm the broken one, and and I went through that all through school. You know, eventually when I was 18, I found a mentor, put me on the right track. And, uh, and I learned all about the power of the brain. And I started studying learning because I always thought it was interesting in school where they teach you what to learn, like math and history, science, Spanish. But there are zero classes, Rachel, on, on how, to, how learn. to learn. No classes like how to focus or concentrate or remember things or think better. Um, so I've dedicated my life, uh, when people see me on stage and I do these demonstrations where, I don't know, I'll have like a hundred people stand up and pass around a microphone and introduce themselves and I, and I memorize their names. I always tell people that I don't do this to impress you. I do this really to express to you what's possible because the truth is every single person listening right now, they could do that and a whole lot more. And I know most people are going to have this belief saying, no, I'm too old or I'm not smart enough. Even at events, I just came from an event speaking and people are like, oh, one person's particularly, this woman came up to me and said, I know you're a memory expert. I'm so glad you're here. I'm just, I'm just not that smart. I have a horrible memory. And I remember just saying, stop. If yeah. you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. You know, if you fight for your limits, they're yours. So because I grew up with that label, and I also lost my grandmother a couple years after my accident to Alzheimer's. You know, it really informed what I do today. I'm very passionate about brain health. Um, we donated all the proceeds to build schools for children in need, you know, girls and boys in Ghana, Guatemala, Kenya, uh, research for women. Women are twice as likely to experience Alzheimer's than men. Really? You Why know. is that? Well, that's what the research uh, is trying, is to, trying figure to figure out. out. Because, And it's interesting because a lot of the uh, research is done on male brains for Alzheimer's and treatments on, yeah, very much so. Yeah, Part of it has to do what they think is part of the um, hormonal changes, you know, and, and the brain. But, you know, losing my grandmother, my parents had immigrated to the States and, you know, had many jobs. And we live in the back of a laundromat that my mom worked at. So my grandmother was like my everything because she would take care of me. So it was, it was hard for people who haven't had that experience, having a family member go through it where she calls me by my father's name or she repeated herself, something she just said 30 seconds ago. It's very uh, curious when you're, when you're six or seven watching that. My inspiration was my desperation. I, in kindergarten class, there was this, I remember one day there was all these sirens outside and 
then the kids could look outside the window to see the commotion because we're so small. And so we all grab our, you know, our chairs. And I remember standing on my chair, looking at the fire trucks and the, you know, the firefighters do their thing. And I took this, I lost my balance and I went head first into a radiator and it was uh, rushed to the emergency room covered in blood. And my parents afterwards, they, they noted that my personality had changed where before I was very curious, very energized, very playful. At five years old, I became very shut down. And uh, where I really showed up was in school. I had processing issues where teachers would repeat themselves like three, four, five times. And I would pretend to understand, but I didn't really understand. I had poor focus, a poor memory. It took me uh, over three years longer just to learn how to read. So that was embarrassing. I remember when I was nine years old, I was uh, I was being teased for my learning difficulties. I was slowing down the class by the other kids and a teacher came to my defense. But all I remember her saying, she pointed to me from the whole class and said, leave that kid alone. He's the boy with the broken brain. And that, um, that, 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 that was very, you know, I, I, it makes me like get a little choked up thinking about it, but I was, uh, I didn't know I was broken. So every single time I did badly in school, which was every week, I struggled. I would say, oh, because I have the broken brain. That mm-hmm. became my, you know, ad- mantra, adults, yeah. yeah, adults have to be very careful their external words because they often become a child's internal words. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that, that was me. Every time I was in pick for sports, I would say, oh, because I'm the broken one. And, and I went through that all through school. You know, eventually when I was 18, I found a mentor, put me on the right track. And, uh, and I learned all about the power of the brain. And I started studying learning because I always thought it was interesting in school where they teach you what to learn, like math and history, science, Spanish. But there are zero classes, Rachel, on, on how, to, how learn. to learn. No classes like how to focus or concentrate or remember things or think better. Um, so I've dedicated my life uh, when people see me on stage and I do these demonstrations where, I don't know, I'll have like a hundred people stand up and pass around a microphone and introduce themselves and I, and I memorize their names. I always tell people that I don't do this to impress you. I do this really to express to you what's possible because the truth is every single person listening right now, they could do that and a whole lot more. And I know most people are going to have this belief saying, no, I'm too old or I'm not smart enough. Even at events, I just came from an event speaking and people are like, oh, one person's particularly, this woman came up to me and said, I know you're a memory expert. I'm so glad you're here. I'm just, I'm just not that smart. I have a horrible memory. And I remember just saying, stop. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. You know, if you fight for your limits, they're yours. That's what I want. I want you to know who it is you want to be when you grow up. And I don't care if you're 62. Okay. I want you to be like, this is who I am right now. Real talk. I'm looking in the mirror, staring, you know, nakedly at my truth. This is who I am. But two, this is like where I'm going. This is who I am becoming because there is no way that you are here hanging out with me on this podcast or watching this on YouTube. If you're like, yep, I'm 37 and this is who I am all the way all the way into the grave. Like there's there's no way. I tend to attract people like me who are just totally imperfect, but we're trying our freaking best to become a better version of ourselves every day. But you can't become a better version of yourself if you haven't thought through what a better version of you looks like, acts like, how they show up in the world. So like, that's what I want. I want us to have a clear vision of where we are going. You know who it is you want to be, or you've at least got some concept of like, this is where I'm headed. So what I want to do is just make sure for this community, some of y'all have been with me for 10 years plus. Some of you guys have come to a RISE conference. Some of you have come to more than one conference. You are in it. You are my ride or dies. Maybe you're brand new. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. But For this community that is filled with leaders all over the world, leaders, mamas, preachers, CEOs, college students, entrepreneurs, vice presidents, people that are starting nonprofits, like we have every kind of person here. But if there is a through line, I think it's that 
every single one of us is leading out in some area of our lives. And we're trying to figure out how to do that better. We're trying to figure out how to better influence ourselves so that we can better influence other people. And assuming that's you, today's episode is about reigniting the passion that you have for the future version of yourself. I came up with this idea for today's show because I just had to do this recently where I felt like I needed to reignite the spark of passion for future rage. I have to do this several times a year and I work in this field. Like this is what I do. So if I have to constantly reignite my passion and my excitement for the future, chances are maybe you might need some of these tricks to do this for yourself in your own life. So I was just going to literally walk you through some of the things I think about when I know where I'm going, I know where I'm headed, I know what I want to do, but I'm feeling misaligned. And how I would describe misalignment in my life is things are slipping. Like I'm not being as dedicated as I know I should be. I'm not staying as clearly on the path. I'm maybe being lackadaisical in areas where I should be going all in. I may be like kind of losing ground over here. When I am passion-filled and excited and walking in purpose and like clearly focused on where I'm going, it's very easy to know what to do next. It's very easy to know what to do next because everything becomes this or that, black or white, yes or no, go or stop. When you have really clear focus and when you're really excited about where that focus is going to take you, you don't question things. You're not like, "Mm, should I go to the gym? You don't even think about it. You're just like doing the things. And I don't know about you, but uh, there's so many decisions that I need to make on a daily basis because I'm not just making decisions for myself. I make decisions for four children. I make decisions for multiple employees, for freelancers, for all sorts of different people who work with me. I make decisions that then affect other people's lives. So all day long, I'm like, people are, Rach, do you want this? Do you want this? What color? What's happening here? You literally get decision fatigue. Your brain starts to use all of its energy and power trying to like answer all of these questions in a given day. And I'm never going to be like Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs and decide to fight decision fatigue by wearing a black turtleneck for the rest of my life. So I have to get my clarity in other places. I want to make things as easy as possible. And there is nothing that I want to make as easy to achieve as the habits and the daily choices that will help pull me closer to who I want to become. Most of us are so far off the actual path that will get us where we want to go, but we've kept the same goal in mind. So we don't understand that we're nowhere near where we want to be and we're nowhere closer to who we want to be We are way far off the path, but we've developed this beautiful coping mechanism that anytime that truth starts to bubble up in us, well, we can just have another drink. We can just have a cigarette. We can just binge eat. We can just reach for the pot. We can just do all of these things that will help us forget that we are not where we're supposed to be and will help us to shove down the anxiety, the the feelings, the anger, the depression, the sadness, it will help us shove all of those unwanted feelings down deep inside of ourselves so that our intuition, which is now manifesting in our physical body, trying to scream at us that we are not on the right path, well, we'll just have some more vodka and we'll ignore that that's what's actually going on. It's so scary because... If you've got a vivid imagination, the goal can remain the same. 
you can have a really clear idea of where you're headed and not understand that you've gotten so far off the path that you have no chance of ever getting there. It's why I love the word alignment. Alignment, coming back into alignment because there's no confusion about what the future version of you would do. Think about it for a second. If you're really clear on who you want to become, whatever that looks like to you, and you ask yourself, the version of me, let's say 10 years from now, 50-year-old Rach, okay? I'm 50 years old and I have a very clear idea of who she is. She's fantastic. 50-year-old version of me, what would she do in this moment? What would she do? I always know the answer. Because the future version of myself, she's stronger, she's better, she's more empathetic, she takes better care of herself, she's kind to, uh, like, I, I know all of the things she would do, so I immediately have an answer about how she would respond to anything. Fifth-year-old version of me would tell me not to worry. Fifth-year-old version of me would be like, do this, this, and this. These three things don't matter. Fifth-year-old version of me would be like, go play with Noah because in 10 years, she's going to be 16 and you're going to wish that she wanted to play Candyland, right? Like, fifth-year-old version of me, whatever age you're going to be in 10 years, that version of you knows the answer. The problem is that current me is like, yeah, but I don't want to play Candyland. I'm tired. I worked all day. This version of me is like, well, I'd like to go have a cocktail when I'm done shooting because I've been doing this all day. I worked really hard. It's freaking hot in this room. Like, I want to go do these things that are going to make me feel better in the moment, but not get me any closer to the person that I want to be. If you ask yourself, it's very clear. That's why I was saying we want to make it as easy as possible to know what to do next. If you think, a decade from now, I'm going to be the healthiest I've ever been. And then tomorrow morning, you're like, oh, I don't know. Should I go to the gym? And you're like, well, would 10 years from now, would that per Yeah, hell yeah. Zero excuses. They're going to the gym. It's this or that. It's yes or no. It's black or white. It's so clear. And at least for me, that attitude helps me to find energy. It helps me to find momentum. It's why I don't love when people are like, oh, how do I get motivated? How do I get motivated? I'm like, freaking A, man. Motivation leaves. Momentum is something you can stay inside of. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.